Guys, thank you so much for tuning in. I actually have a really, really special episode. This one is fun for me because I'm a sports, sports fanatic. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit of baseball, a little bit of steroids. We're going to talk about our top five steroid users and whether or not they changed the game or they didn't, the good and bad, ugly of it all. I've got a special guest going on tonight. Uh, I've got Alien Casinos, Raven, coming in to help me out with this podcast. Raven, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, man. So Liquored Listings is finally on the air. And fucking, I listened to your first podcast and it was fucking exceptional. Like, I, I literally was on, I was sitting there listening to all these stories about you calling everybody a fucktard about like, you know, like, who is this fucking guy? Like, why, why is this guy in this show and shit? It really made me want to fucking watch Game of Thrones. I, w- I was sitting here, I have HBO Max, and I was like, should I watch Friends tonight or should I watch Game of Thrones? And then, of course, I had my daughters uh, in my room, so I was like, well, I can't watch Game of Thrones, so I'll just put on Friends. But yeah, man, congratulations with uh, your success on this podcast, dude. It's it's fucking tremendous, and um, it, it it's going to overtake my podcast, sadly, but uh, I'm excited for you, man. Man, I really appreciate uh, the support here. And to be honest with you, you made the right decision with your daughter. Do not show Game of Thrones with your kids. That's everybody out there in listening land. Do not watch that with your children under the age of 15. That's a parental warning straight ahead. <laughs> now, we're on to a, a subject that's kind of, uh, kind of hard for people to actually digest because there was a lot of good and bad that came out of Uh, the steroid era in baseball. Remember, this came directly after the strike in the mid-90s, and baseball needed their rating. They needed it to jump up real quick. So the balls were juiced. You still had great pitching, don't get me wrong. You had all the Atlanta Braves pitchers, John Smoltz, Tom Blavitt, Greg, motherfucking Maddox, Pedro Martinez, Randy Johnson. There were so many great pitchers in those days, yet the storyline became how far the ball would go. Now, my question to you, Raven, is if you had to list your top five steroid junkie era players, um, and, and I don't, I want the answer to be how influential they were to the game of baseball, good or bad. If you had to list your number five baseball player right now, who would it be in that steroid era? In the steroid area. So we're talking about the mid-90s all the way up to 2000. Uh, I would literally put um, the man that you guys love to hate uh, first, and that would be uh, Barry Bonds. That That's my first um, player that – he's controversial, man, but if you really look at his stats um, – yeah, there was a there was like a physique change about him from his Pittsburgh Pirate days to his San Francisco Giant days, but uh, Barry Bonds knew how to hit. That's the thing that that a lot of people you know don't want to admit when they want to hate on him is the fact that he could hit the ball uh, regardless of whether he was on steroids or not, and his stats prove that with him being with the Pittsburgh Pirates now. Of course, um, Mark McGuire would be second on my list. 
of one of my favorite players. Um, now, a lot of people would put Sammy Sosa uh, in that top five. I don't because Sammy Sosa. I think that if there was um, if there was a player that uh, was kind of mediocre during all that. It, I know that it sounds oxymoronish because he was he was second in that home run. Uh, I, how many home runs did he hit in '98 uh, or '97? Was it '69 or '70? I think it was '60. I was thinking '67 or '69. Yeah, I think it was '69. I think you're right. And then Mark McGuire ended up hitting '72. Um, I, I, I there's no doubt that he had great. He had a great year that year, but it didn't put it into perspective as Mark McGuire and Barry Bonds. Um, now, for year four and five, that's a hard one, man. I mean, there was really um, no players like them in the steroid area uh, that I can actually remember, to be honest. I'm, I remember more well, pitchers than I can hitters. Well, and that's where I'm going to put it my number five in anyway. My my fifth most influential player of the steroid era was actually the pitcher Roger Clemens. He had such an impeccable record going through his entire career. And then he just wanted to keep his career going. It was like about longevity for him. He was chasing records at that point. And he was pitching against also juiced up motherfuckers. I don't care if you hit moon balls to outer space, to be honest with you. I like this piece of shit. I thought it was fun. If these meatheads want to hit moon balls out to, you know, out to Uranus, I don't really care. But Roger Clemens was still able to pitch through that. So that's why I can put him in that steroid era because he was, you know, he was found guilty. Well, I, using steroids. I, I, you know, you um, know? I... I don't I don't look at the steroid era as being like a bad mark on baseball because we don't know the gist of the um, the sports medicines out there that they use because if you look if you look compare this to the 80s to the 90s every single person in baseball was cheating it doesn't matter if they were using steroids or whether they were you know, using sticky substances or cork ba- uh, baseball bats, everyone was cheating. Uh, you even had Pete Rose, uh, you know, the rumor about him cheating with his gambling addiction. Um, so uh, the steroid era, I don't really, I don't, I it didn't really uh, put a bad mark on baseball for me at all. And as it, as it should, in all honesty, I mean, at that time, if you weren't cheating, you weren't trying. This <laughs> exactly. Was a, this, exactly. This was a different time in baseball. A I, different I, time I, in the world. You, you, you mentioned like Dante Bichette and Wally Joyner. <laughs> oh, Wally <laughs> Joyner. That's a that's a name Wally that. Joyner, yeah. <laughs> that that's a name that I mean, the the younger cats would not even know. There's no way anybody under the age of thirty knows who Wally Joyner is. I mean. We're, we're who did he play? Who, who, a hell of a baseball player. Who did he play for? Uh, Kansas City Royals, if I remember correctly. Uh, well, I got his rookie card. I, I do know that. I, I got his rookie baseball <laughs> card. <laughs> uh, both is, the tops. Is it, ro- 
Is yeah. it worth everything you thought it would be? Uh, no, he didn't. He didn't <laughs> live up to to his hype. But the first few years, he he was actually pretty good. I would say around the fourth or fifth mark, the year mark. That's when he kind of kind of slowed down a little bit. But um, speaking of pitchers, though, in that era, I I just have to name a few and get your reaction. You, you named Roger Clemens, but another guy that doesn't get a lot of traction today as he should. And that's Kurt Schilling. Kurt Schilling, Pedro Martinez, Randy Johnson, John Smoltz, Greg Maddox. You had uh, the Big Red Machine with Tom Browning, Norm Charleston, Rob Dibble. Uh, you had uh, players in um, the Oakland A's, had Dennis Eckersley, and then that black guy. What was that black guy's name? Dave Stewart. Dave, Dave Stewart. Stewart yeah. Oh, hell yeah. Yep. Uh, then you had Oriole Hershiser. Fernando Hernandez from the uh, Los Angeles Dodgers. Um, You had um, teams like, I mean, okay, let me ask you this. Speaking of pitchers, who do you think had the best pitching staff on their team? The Atlanta Braves. No no question. There's no question. The Atlanta Braves. I would put the second closest would be Boston Red Sox. Yeah, I mean, we had Schilling and Pedro leading the way, but that that's in no comparison to a Glavin, Maddox, Smoltz uh, top three. Because it's unbelievable a series postseason where you only have to start three pitchers. It's really hard to beat the Atlanta Braves, and they proved that during the '90s, and that's why they won so many World Series titles. Well, I have to give it up to uh, the manager Cox. He was a phenomenal manager. And he, he did, uh, he knew how to put a team together. I mean, with the hitting, um, you had Chipper Jones, you had Andrew Jones, you had all those uh, other players. Like, the, that's the thing about their pitching staff. Not only was their starters great, but their relievers were great. But you didn't have uh, any other hitting stars besides Chipper Jones. So their hitting wasn't a, a phenomenal force, but I, I, that's where Cox came into play at. He knew uh, what to do to kind of give his team the edge. Now, we've been talking prior to this podcast about players and such. You know what one player we didn't even mention uh, during the steroid era? That would be Ken well, Griffey Jr. Oh, well, I was, come on. That was my number one. I was going to call him the most influential. But he, he did it purely. I think so too. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Um, his his dad was a good hitter, but I think Griffey Jr. probably uh, overshadowed his dad. Even um, it, baseball was. Well, he, go ahead. He was the godson of uh, Willie Mays, and they refer. I mean, it's the prettiest swing in baseball history. It is that, well. You got to look at Eric Davis, though. Eric, like when people call like Rory McIlroy in golf the prettiest swing in golf, that's the same thing that Ken Griffey Jr. had back in the day, and he's well over six hundred home runs, isn't he? In his uh, career, uh, I believe he's over five hundred. I don't think that he got to six hundred. We'll have to I, we'll have I, to I look at it. Beg to differ with you on that one. I'm actually going to use my phone here for a second. 
and I'm pretty sure he got into the mid 600s on that one. I think he was. Uh, I think he was. If he if he had played long enough, they talked about him breaking Barry's record at one point back in the day. Well, he ended up uh, with. Uh, yes, you are right. Six hundred and thirty home runs. Isn't yeah. that incredible? It, it is, man. Especially, <laughs> especially with him not even uh, being uh, put into that steroid conversation. Yeah, he was completely like not involved at all. He played the game the purest of ways, going against some of the best pitchers ever, and he was still able to accumulate six hundred and thirty home runs. I mean, that's a career that that ranks up there with a Babe Ruth career, in my opinion. Like, uh, all the gold gloves he won, Ken Griffey Jr. should go down as one of the top five baseball players of all time. I mean, we have people associated like Alex Rodriguez in the, in the steroid era. Now, if you had to choose for your team, Alex Rodriguez or Ken Griffey Jr., who would you choose? No question, Ken Griffey. None, none right. whatsoever. It, it's like a no-brainer. What about a Barry Bonds? Would you choose Barry over Ken Griffey? That's a hard one. That's a hard one. Barry, because Barry, pre-steroids, the only reason I think Barry took steroids was he was such a competitor, and he looked at McGuire um, and Sosa getting all that press. And well, well you got to look at the injury, too. He did have a bad knee. I mean, you know, we don't know. True. We don't know the 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 team's strategy behind getting him healthy, and it could have been more of the steam, uh, a team uh, effort to kind of say, you know, kind of look the other way on the drugs that he was taking. Well, this is important. Then now we've talked a little bit about it. Which ones belong in the Hall of Fame? I think all of them do. <clears throat> I agree a hundred percent. No question. Even Wally Joyner? Even Wally Joyner. <laughs> I mean, look but at yeah. the numbers. Uh, you know, you have you have players like uh, Kirby Puckett being in the Hall of Fame. Um, and, uh, and I'm not trying to, you know, compare and contrast between him and, and Wally Joyner, but because um, Kirby was probably uh, an exceptional player. But Dave Parker, uh, that's another one. They had comparable numbers with with Wally Joyner. I mean, if if you look, well, yeah. Another another one we haven't mentioned that was pretty much late into the '90s and early 2000s, who was associated with uh, steroids, was Manny Ramirez, and I believe he belongs in the Hall of Fame as well. Manny Ramirez. Now, he was. Uh, I would say, I would put him in the top five favorite players that the Boston Red Sox have ever had. And, and of course, Babe Ruth being number one, but uh, Manny was like the hustler. He was, he was good at uh, uh, fielding and exceptional at batting. One of the greatest natural hitters that you could find in the game of baseball. I mean, he, he would hit, I think his career average was over 300. He just wasn't a power hitter. Like, he hits the ball. Now, Wally Joyner, he did have a, he almost batted 300. He had over 200 uh, home runs, and his RBIs was over 1,000. <clears> I think that uh, people, you know, that 
I just think that the teams that he was in um, really hindered him. I mean, he played for the Padres for a while, the Kansas City Royals. And the Royals, during that era, um, they didn't really do shit. They were always in last place. Um, so I, I just think that if, if he had a better team behind him, he probably would have uh, played a little bit better. And then, of course, during his later years, he played with Atlanta, for a little, I think for one year, maybe two years, um, and then ended it with uh, the anim- or California Angels at the time. But um, now, <clears throat> I have to ask you, man, since you're a big baseball fan, what who is your who is your favorite player uh, of the '80s and '90s? Ricky Anderson. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. Why do you think? Why, why is it that Ricky uh, you you gravitated towards Ricky? Um, I emulated him. I was a big baseball player when I was a kid. I was very, very talented. And, and I played a similar style. I was always the leadoff hitter. I always got on base, no matter what. And I even did the little things where I'd, I'd stick my two uh, batting gloves in the, my back pocket so they would wave at first base as I'm running the second, stealing a base. I loved stealing bases. And the thing about Ricky is he wasn't just, uh, I mean, he's, he's 132 uh, bases in one season. That's almost a steal per game. That means he has to get on base. So, but it's just home runs, leadoff home runs. I, I, I wish I had the stat for you right now, but it, I think it's like 70 leadoff home runs of a game, first at bat in his career. How does that set a tone for the rest of your game against an opponent? When you're already up one nothing, because Ricky Henderson just shoots one over the wall. Ricky Henderson, bar not my favorite player. Okay, well, let's go to pitchers. Who who was one of your favorite pitchers during that era? My favorite pitcher of all time is still Pedro Martinez. Um, he had a personality, and he was small. He was so small, but he. He could strike. I mean, he had a, at one point he had like a 1.92 ERA against the jacked up, juiced up players, and he would just stare them down. And he's only like five foot nine, five foot ten. They probably list him at five ten, but he's probably five eight. <laughs> and he just had this attitude, arrogance, and the spin that the spin he had on a ball. You just couldn't hit it. Everyone looked foolish trying to hit Pedro Martinez. You know, one of my favorite uh, pitchers was there's two, and one of them you're going to be like, What the fuck? You probably have forgotten about this guy. But my first one is Randy Johnson. Um, he played with the Diamondbacks, and he was like, I, I mean, he, he was such a his, his pitch was so damn fast, it was ridiculous. But my second player is Hidea, uh, Hideo Nomo. Do you remember that player at all? I remember Deo Novo. Yeah, like his style of pitching was absolutely insane. Like he he threw his arms back over his head and then kind of did that sidearm pitch. It was absolutely it, it was it was just fun to watch him, man. Absolutely fun to watch uh, him. I'm trying to remember uh the the name of the one arm pitcher back in that era, but he was an inspiration to so many people. Arbor, um, I, I forget his name, but there was a one-arm pitcher back Jim in the Jim Abbott. Day. 
Jim Abbott. Yes. Well, I was close with Arbor. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. He was so much fun to watch. Uh, but my other one, if I had to not pick a superstar, would be uh, Tim Wakefield. Oh, Tim was a because, great player. Yeah, but he wasn't a superstar. No. But anybody anybody can throw a 64-mile-per-hour knuckleball. And I don't. I got up into varsity level, and I, I tried to hit against a knuckleball pitcher, and that was only varsity level in high school. If you've never seen a true knuckleball, you you really can't comment on this on this because it is so hard to hit. The ball actually dances. It's so crazy to actually try to swing the bat as the ball goes left, right, all over. It, it's it's so weird to try to hit a true knuckleball. Who would be your Who would be your um, out like your best outfielders? Or well, just era. just in in the eighties and nineties. Well, definitely Barry Bonds, Ken Griffey Jr., and Ricky Henderson. Well, Ricky <laughs> didn't Ricky Henderson play another uh, position though? No, he only played left field. Okay, all right. Yeah, actually, he was yeah, he a left fielder. Even, yeah, Barry Bonds. Yeah, he, he, would, he wouldn't even he wouldn't even play center. Yeah, Barry was a right fielder. And yeah. Griffey was a center, center fielder. fielder. So that's yeah. my, that's definitely my outfield right there. Um, at shortstop, I would put Jeter. I hated Jeter. I hated. Oh, I don't sit. I could I not. I, like I could not. <laughs> but you had. I mean, you had. What about Ozzy Smith or Barry Larkin, man? Oh, Barry Larkin. That's a really good one. Ozzy Smith was a showboat. Uh, but Barry Larkin is a really good choice to put over there. Now, Man. what about third base? Ooh, wow. Because the, 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 the two that come to mind for me would be Cal Ripken Jr. and, uh, of course, uh, Chipper Jones. I think, and I think you've named the top two in that position during that time. Wasn't Mike Schmidt a first baseman? Um, uh, I no, I I don't, know. I don't know. Uh, well, Wade Boggs, Wade Boggs was Ooh, also a third baseman. Yeah, yeah. Wow, you're really, you're really throwing the gauntlet up here too. <laughs> uh, when he brought up Wade Boggs, that's gonna give me. That's a, that's. I mean, one of the best hitters ever. He averaged over three thirty three. Mike I mean, Schmidt was a was a third baseman, yeah. Third base, okay, yeah. But uh, yeah, now that you throw it out there, now that you throw it out there, if I'm starting a lineup, I'm taking Wade Boggs because of his because of his hitting percentage. It was over. I think he had a career average over three thirty three, which means that a third of the time he's on base. That I don't know how you can go wrong if I'm designing a team. Wade Boggs, that's. What's your what's your honorable mention for uh, for uh, your '90s players? Honorable mentions. Let's see. Uh, Nomar Garcia Para. Oh yeah! Oh my goodness gracious! Yeah, he he was incredible. I didn't even think about him. He was a good little player. Jack, he, Jeff Bagwell was, is one of mine. He was a first baseman. Jeff Bagwell? Yeah. 
and then oh, yeah. then you had uh, players like, of course, Mike Piazza. Do you do you put Mike Piazza as the best ca- catcher during that era? I think during that era, he has to be. Yeah, I mean, I can't think of much better at catcher at that at that time. Well, let me throw uh, a list out for you. You have uh, I wonder- Frank Frank Thomas being the first baseman. Um, you had Albert Bell. Uh, you, we, we forgot about Roberto Alomar, uh, Larry Walker, uh, Vladimir Guerrero, which, um, was one of my favorite players. He's my favorite angel of all time. Um, other than, uh, of course, Albert Pools, but he started with the Cardinals. Um, yeah, he, he was a Cardinal. Uh, and then you had, um, Dante Bichette, um, Kenny Lofton was another great player. Paul O'Neill. Yeah. And then the let me, one. Let me throw you on. Let me throw you on. Okay. How about Cecil Fielder? Uh, say say it Cecil again. Fielder? Oh, yeah. Cecil Fielder. He was, uh, <laughs> he was, he was a workhorse, man. Home run machine. Yes. Uh, there's one player that we did not mention during the steroid era that that uh, which was shocking that you didn't mention, but um, that was Mark McGuire's teammate. Do you know who I'm talking about? I, I'm not ringing a bell. Uh, he played when Mark McGuire played with the Oakland A's. He had a teammate. Oh, Jose Canseco. Yeah, he, he brought in the steroid era. Yeah, yeah. He brought in the steroid era. Jose Canseco. And the best thing, the best highlight of Jose Canseco is when he goes to catch a ball and it goes off his head and then becomes a home run. <laughs> now, uh, I, I don't, you know, I don't want to kind of like change the subject. This is your, your thing here. But uh, NBA, we, we were talking about NBA during that time too, the 80s and 90s. And I just got to tell you, man, sports was so much, I, other than football, other than football, but with basketball and baseball, the sports were so much better then. I, I really do think so. I mean, uh, football, we have... a completely it, different era. Yeah, yeah. Uh, football, the, the the style is much different today than it was back then. So I think it's, it's kind of uh, progressed for the better. But uh, I think that... Basketball and baseball is degressed, and I, I think that it's just um, it was so much fun back then. But with basketball, uh, we named our top five starters from the '80s and '90s. Who was on your list for the top five? All right, I'm going to say it one more time, and this is the definitive correct answer. Your number <laughs> one, your point guard. I I, I have to disagree with you before you even get started, but go I ahead. Know. But it's Irvin Magic Johnson. He is leading my point no matter what team, what generation. Irvin Magic Johnson, the six foot nine point guard from the Los Angeles Lakers. In my opinion, second best player of all time by Michael Jordan, who's obviously at my number three. I'm taking Allen Iverson at my number two. I, I have to, to stop you. I have guard. to stop you. I have to stop you. Why? <laughs> Why in the hell? Now, Allen Iverson is literally the top 20 best basketball players of all time. No question. Zero question. But why do you put him at uh, third as a small forward uh, 
compared to a point guard with Magic Johnson? Well, I put him at two, which means still a pure scoring guard, not like a three, which I had Michael at. Um, see, when I design a team, I'm looking at chemistry and everything along the way. So I have to have Magic as number one, the point guard. There's no better point guard in the history of the NBA. And there's no better player than Michael Jordan at three. Now, pure scoring ability and being able to shake anybody was Allen Iverson. You saw him cross up, cross up Jordan. And and, and Magic ankles. Johnson. Magic yeah, Johnson played the same way. lose their ankles against Allen Iverson. But the difference is Allen Iverson would have lifted to Magic Johnson, Michael Jordan, and my number four, Larry Bird. He would have been the second leading scorer on that team, but he would have always played deference to everybody else on that team. It wasn't like he had to do the, you know, had to be the man, and he would have known that. And if you can put my number two, Allen Iverson, as the secondary role, secondary scorer, I, I don't think that team can be beat. When you put Michael as the leading scorer, Magic holding down the court, Allen just shooting, you know, when he's wide open and breaking some ankles. And then I got my number four, Larry Bird, you know, probably the most competitive person amongst all of them, too. I think he I think he and Jordan would have gotten fights, like fist fights, trying to have dominance. Now like that's how tough. Now, I, I have to I have to make fun of you with Allen Iverson for one second. So I'm going to play Anybody something. tell you that I miss practice. If, 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 if a coach say I miss practice and y'all hear it, then that's that. I mean, I might have missed one practice this year. But if if somebody say he doesn't come to practice, it can be one practice. Out of all the practices this year, that's enough. If I can't practice, I can't practice, man. I'm hurt. I'm hurt. I mean, simple as that. Simple as that. Practice? You guys want to complain about practice? It's the greatest. (laughs) It's the greatest. That still, that clip still lives today in infamy. Because you're Allen Iverson. Allen Iverson changed the game. He made it more of the modern game than it is today. Man, you couldn't, you had to be in a suit to go to a game. You couldn't be yourself. I, for better or worse, Allen Iverson changed the game uh, because of who he was. So, I don't know. You can pick on me all you want, but that's one of the greatest clips that you could ever, ever have. Now, you, you had you had you Larry. me practice? You had Larry Bird at number four. Who is your number five? Uh, this was the struggle because I I was struggling between the fours from the San Antonio Spurs. But like I said, I designed teeth. And I put Shaquille O'Neal at my, my center because he's unselfish. He is always, with that team, all he would ever have to do is sit in the paint and get every nobody's going to box him out. It was it was all I needed to complete my team. Shaquille O'Neal, that's it. Now, I would have, you know, it, it's it's hard to sit there and put a team together that would provide good chemistry 
And it's very hard when you have players like Jordan, Magic, and Bird all on one team. Now, we look at the Dream Team, you know, back in the 92 Olympics, and the Dream Team was like, that was the best team. I mean, hands down. Ever assembled. Yeah, uh, just you couldn't get a better team than the 92 and 96 Olympics. You just couldn't. Um, But... You know, there's one player that I don't think that gets a lot of credit where credit is due, and my number four would have to be uh, Dennis Rodman. Uh, Dennis Rodman was one of the best rebound, is the best rebounder of the game, and he also was a, a defensive prowess as well uh, when he played for the Detroit Pistons. That's honestly not a bad selection because he was—he knew his role at all times. And as you said, he was the greatest rebounder that the modern game has ever seen. And that was his job, and he knew it. What did and you? He, what, like, what did you think about him? Like when when you watched him in the mid '90s and and early '90s, what was your thoughts about him? How he changed his whole image. See, I was a young, young person at that time, so I never got it. Because, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I was still conforming to uh, my high school and shit like that. Um, but now that I'm older, I kind of understand. He always wanted his own identity. And that was his struggle throughout life. But from what, what everybody says and all the interviews you hear is that he was the hardest, hardest worker amongst any team that he's ever been on. Michael Jordan said me, that. Yeah. And for me, someone that I grew up in athletics, and for me, that would have been the most imperative thing, even even back in my day when I was like competing in the various sports that I did, I always wanted to see people giving 100% effort. I was one of those leaders that always had to take charge and, and try to get people to bring out the best of them. But with someone like Dennis Rodman, now I can look at him, you didn't have to. He would do it on his own. He would take it on his own psyche to be the best, but he also wanted his space. So he was, he was a different individual, and and that's part of humanity right there, in my opinion. He just he was a he was a different cat. And you're not wrong putting him on that team because you can only have so many scorers, right? Right. And defensively and rebounding. I mean, you've got it. It's it's over. He's a better rebounder than Shaq ever could imagine me. So now with his with play. his with his turmoil on the court with kicking the the cameraman and and fighting with players, what what was your what was your reaction uh, with him on that? Well, the antics for me was a uh, detraction. Um, like I said, I was always a captain on all of my sports teams, that would have been a uh, deterrent for me. And like, how do I reel him in? And it took someone special like a Jordan and a Phil Jackson to really start like reeling him back in a little bit. But I actually don't really like the antics. I think it's, I think it's out of place. And uh, I think a lot of it was to get, like he needed that spotlight and that was just, I mean, it was part of who he was, but I don't think he should have 
gone that far and over the top of it. I, I don't I don't think that was it. I, I don't think that the reason why he did it was to be in the spotlight and to garner attention to himself. I, I think that the the tactics that he used was basically molded because of the, the bad boy era. I think that, that Joe Dumars and um, Isaiah Thomas and uh, Bill Lambeer, I think that those, John those, Sally, yeah, you look Jimmy at, you Johnson, look, yeah, yeah you look at those, boy. he, he basically was still living in those era, but that era passed on and, and died, died out, but it didn't die out with him. And, and that's, that's the thing that I, the, the men- mentality that I think that Dennis Rodman had was he was playing, he was playing on a, one of the best teams in the NBA in the early nineties and late eighties. And when he got away and went to San Antonio, it was a dim- different chemistry for him. And he didn't know how to react to that. So that's when he acted out and yeah. all the hairstyles. And all that. Absolutely. I, I, you know, I can't, that's actually pretty smart to be honest with you. That's, it, it could be exactly what happened to his psyche when he's like, man, this is what we do. This is how you play the game of basketball, and this is what I'm good at. And then that was kind of taken away. And then he got back to the Bulls after his stint. And, uh, yeah. I mean, I mean, you look I at you that's, look at San Antonio. That's, that's a clever look at it, to be honest with you. It's yeah. a very clever look, and I appreciate that thought process because – never really looked at him like that. I still remember the Jordan era, and I forget that he was such an integral member of the Detroit Pistons when they were the bad boys. That anybody out there in listening land that doesn't understand basketball from the late 80s, early 90s, look up the bad boys and see how good, how rough and tumble they were. Oh, my I mean, gosh. Fist fights. I mean, yeah. It oh, was... yeah. They would beat you up. They would beat you up. <laughs> yeah, especially especially during the uh the you know uh the east eastern conference when they play against boston they they would tr- they would try to put people in hospitals man i mean those, it, it was it was absolutely games, nasty those games those games were basically fistfights you did not go anywhere near the rim it, like if you did not go near the rim Let's see any of these modern players try to break through the Detroit Pistons bad boy lineup and see how they feel. I mean, the whole starting lineup's getting ejected within the first five minutes of a modern game from the Detroit Pistons bad boy era. Like, they're all getting ejected because of how it is today. Like, that was a different time in basketball. There was a, you, but I was taught that going up too. Defend the rim. Don't give them an easy shot. If you're going to foul, make it a foul. You know what I mean? I was taught that growing up as I played basketball. If you're going to foul, make sure it's an actual foul. And there's no way it's an and one. So And and then and, Yeah, and then you had when when Robin played with the Bad Boys and then he went to San Antonio, he played with people like David Robinson. And that was just a whole different culture for him. And I think that that's why he ended up getting a bad rap because he brought that locker room atmosphere from Detroit into San Antonio. And that's why it didn't work out for him was Greg Popovich didn't, didn't have that philosophy than John Daly. That's a really smart assessment because he went there with uh, Robinson and, and Duncan gentlemen, 
I mean, they've always been known as oh, generals yeah. of the game. And, Absolutely. And Popovich as well. And so, yeah, he was definitely out of place in, in San Antonio. It didn't make any sense for him to go there. He didn't fit in with that culture at all. Now, what's um, so what's some just, of the players? What's some of the players in the uh, early early nineties and late eighties that you know really don't get the for the new generation out there? They would literally not even know who you were talking about. Well, I I said that earlier about Joe Dumars, but if you guys don't know people like Reggie Miller, you really need to look up Reggie Miller highlights. I know he's on. You know, it's like TNT broadcasting. 18 like points in nine seconds. 18 points in nine seconds. I mean, how do you do that? He was a nit then, killer. Like, that was his... I, Reggie Miller, the Pacers, the Pacers had a phenomenal team. You had, well, you yeah, know, they, Travis Best or Mark Jackson uh, leading point. Mark Jackson at the time. Uh, you They're had... Mark Jackson. You had Reggie Miller. You had the the Davis boys, Antonio and Dale Davis. You had Rick Smith. And Rick Smith. Uh, and then in, in the later in the later uh, in the late nineties, when they went up against uh, L.A. Lakers, you had Chris Mullins, uh, Dave, uh, Sam Perkins. Um, you had uh, they they were an, a phenomenal team. I just do the Bulls is what the Bulls and the Pistons and the Knicks is what stopped the Pacers. If they didn't have Michael Jordan or, you know, uh, uh, the teams like the Pistons with Isaiah Thomas and then, of course, Boston and the Knicks, the Pacers would be number one throughout the whole entire 90s. Well, it makes sense that because of the teams you just said, players like Reggie Miller, Charles Barkley, Dominique Wilkins never got a championship because – of the dominance of a few players in the game. And it's a shame in some levels because those players were so good. If you ever want to go back and watch highlights, the round mound of rebound, Charles Barkley. I mean, this is an undersized power forward. Undersized. Sean Kemp. Yeah, you couldn't stop Charles Barkley. You know, he was unbelievable. So for any of those listening that are younger, these are some players that you really need to look back on. Like we all know LeBron James in it. See, I always oh, equate. Gosh, I cannot stand uh, LeBron. I I equate sports like this, sir. You gotta hear me out here, Raven. Someone once asked me if you had to create a new sport and through all the tools of athleticism. You don't have to name the sport to me, Joe. You don't have to name the sport. But if you had to create a random sport, who would your number one overall pick be? And I I, I choked on my fucking own beer, and I said LeBron James because he's the most athletic. But he doesn't stack up. Michael Phelps. Style. We could put Michael Phelps in that conversation. <laughs> well, I know. I know there's so many to choose from. I mean, I could put Ronaldo in there, Cristiano Ronaldo. But Floyd Mayweather. Say, uh, I don't know if I'll put Mayweather in there. I don't think he's an athlete. Oh Great. come Probably. on, Mayweather's not a bad boxer, man. He's 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 oh, un, no. he's undefeated for a reason. No, he, he's probably the greatest boxer, definitely the greatest moneymaker 
<laughs> of all time. Nope, nope, um, nope, nope. I th- well, moneymaker, yeah, but uh, I I would put Mike Tyson uh, number one. I don't care I would, if he lost. I love Mike Tyson. He only lost because of his trainer. He he got rid of his trainer because of dag daggone that spiky hair dude, uh, Don King. Don uh, King. Yeah, I mean. Uh, we, uh, we were uh, in the eighties and nineties, we were spoiled with sports, man. I mean, we had the, the greatest of great in every single sport other than swimming <laughs> with, with Michael Phelps. Um, <laughs> but we did man, uh, with basketball now football though, football was different though with, with the eighties and nineties. I mean, the only, the only era that I remember about football was, you know, Joe Montana, uh, you had John Elway, you had Bo Jackson playing, you know, well, baseball that's, that's, and basketball that's or the football. Athlete. That's the greatest athlete of all time. You Bo think Jackson. so? You think so? I think so. Uh, I do. I think so. Well, okay. Let, let's talk about his innate ability to perform any task that becomes athletic. Bo Jackson could do it all. Have you ever seen him shoot archery? <laughs> no, no, dude. <laughs> and he, he flat out said it. He goes, yeah, I picked up a bow. And the first time I did it, I got a bullseye. I thought I, thought I didn't know what I was doing, so I shot again and I got a bullseye. He's like a freak of nature. Like his hand-eye, his foot-eye, like everything about him. And he's an absolute machine. Bo Jackson, probably the greatest innately gifted athlete of all time. Remember when he ran up a wall on that home run? Like, yeah, on that, yeah. Uh, that which I mean, time? Which time though? Which time? Because he's he done it numerous of times. There, there was a game called Tech Mobile when we were kids. Oh yeah, I, uh, I was I was Bo Jackson like every. Well, I <laughs> I, I played I played Chicago. I my team was Chicago. Not not uh, uh what what Raiders. team did he play for? Um. In Raiders. Football. Raiders, yeah. I was a Chicago Bears uh, guy, though. <laughs> if you picked Bo Jackson, you won every game of Tech Mobile. This is well before that. Let me I, let me give you some stats. Football game. Bo Jackson's rushing yards was at twenty seven eighty two, which seems low to me, to be honest. Um, he played a few years. But his his yards per carry was phenomenal. That was five point four yards per carry. Five point four. Yes. Think about that. Yeah, that's that's phenomenal. Uh, and then uh, <laughs> per game, or actually, he had he had only sixteen touchdowns though during his whole entire career. Um, now baseball. Yeah, baseball. Uh, he batted uh, two fifty. With 141 home runs and 415 uh, runs batted in, so yeah, that's pretty damn good too. Yeah, it's not bad, not bad. He went, he went back to baseball after football. His knee wouldn't hold up. Do you they don't have the same surgeon back if, then as they do today? Yeah, if he had if he had stuck with just one sport, which sport would he have excelled in the most? Football. 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 Why, why? Why do you think football? Because he he was Adrian Peterson before Adrian Peterson came around. 
He was so much stronger than linebackers, and he was so much faster than defensive backs. Do you so know? If, if do you know broke, the player that I broke th- through a line? If he broke through a line, you aren't tackling both. Do you see? Like he was ahead of his time. Like I he was just that much stronger and faster. He I broke through a line of three hundred pound lineman. He he's going. I look at Bo Jackson as a Mike Tyson, Barry Sanders. <laughs> that's that's yeah. who. Yeah, I mean, he he was uh, he was like his physique was like one of the strongest players that you could possibly think of, but he was so ridiculously fast, like Barry Sanders. So I agree with you. Football and would have been his. Like he could stop on a dime and cut. He just stop. Like Barry, like boom, he's going the other direction before you even know it. Like there was no way to stop Bo back then. Bo had it all until he blew his knee out. That was one of the greatest physical specimens of an athlete that you can ever, ever ask for. Now I'm going to ask you a question. Sure. How do you think LeBron would do in the NFL? Not now, but in, in his late 20s, when LeBron was in his prime physically, how do you think he would have fared in the NFL? The NFL? That's a weird, weird question. Uh, uh, Certainly has the athletic ability to be there. We'll, we'll call him a tight end. Uh, I don't know, because I never really thought of him as a football player, but I, I think that he would be... Uh, there's a lot of other tight ends that, you know, during his time... Uh, when he was younger, that would have been so much. I mean, you had Shannon Sharp. Uh, I I don't know. I don't think that he would have cut it out to being a football player. Was he a football player in high school? Yeah, he was. Uh, I'll say he was incredible in in high school. I did not know that about him. That's yeah, that's news to me. And in fact, there was he thought about going NFL instead of NBA at one point, uh, but then the NBA started calling him. He was a junior and in uh, high school, but he was unbelievable football player. He was a tight end. And uh, I just wonder if he could have lasted with his, I don't know, something about his mentality that annoys me. Like, I don't think he could have lasted in the NFL. He he made the right career choice to go to the NBA um, because I don't think he could have took the licks like someone like a Rob Gronkowski will take over and over. Oh yeah, so, yeah. He would have been hurt. So, uh, it, there, there's no question about that. But I think, I think, I think he run. Physically he, speaking, he could have done it. I think he rubs people the wrong way just because of his politics. I mean, to be honest, uh, and and not only that, but he's kind of a hypocrite when it comes to you know bowing down to the Chinese, uh, the Communist Party, and and not sticking up for America. That's basically where he's at with that. But. When do you think that that football changed? Because you look at the '80s and '90s; it's completely different now. So, when when was the era? When was the year that actually football changed? It was uh, when it really changed. Was and don't get me wrong, I'm from Maine. I'm a big Brady fan, but it was the year that Brady blew his knee out. I think so too. Absolutely. I think that, uh, I think during the Peyton Manning and Tom Brady era, that's when football ended up 
becoming more of a uh, more of a strategic gameplay than a brawling gameplay because you know you had the uh, 49ers back in the 80s um, and you had great teams back then like uh, even the Cleveland Browns uh, had, had went to the championship against uh, I believe it was Washington Redskins um, back in the early 90s or late 80s um, but uh, the whole style of play is just completely different and I think it's for the better too um, I was going to say, I don't even think it's wrong. I think they uh, knew where their bread and butter was coming from, and it is people like Brady and Manning. Those are your stars, and they wanted to protect those players, and I totally get that. It needed to happen. This is this is uh, a multi-multi-billion-dollar industry. You can't have uh, Manning and Brady going down and you know, like, the early 2000s and expect the same result. It's just, it's just not going to happen. What better rivalry was there back in those days? You needed that to stay relevant. The, um, there was literally, I, I think that out of all the three sports that we talked about, <clears throat> other than the Pacers and the Knicks, and then we had baseball, we had, um, the rivalry there, of course, would be the Yankees and Boston. Um, but there was no better rivalry than the Colts and the Patriots uh, in football. None. Yeah, it, it reminded me of the NBA Bird versus Magic era. That's another one. They promoted it yes. so well. They promoted it so well in the NFL, and they started protecting their superstars. And I think that's when when the game changed a little bit. I mean, now we're seeing people put up unbelievable numbers throwing the ball, but you're not as scared. And someone like Brady, who's, what, turning 44 or 45 this year, can still play and win Super Bowls. You know, that's because they're protected. Okay. Now, if, Brady had, <clears throat> if Brady had played these past 15 years in the 80s Bulls, he'd be gone. Let me let me let me ask you this. This is going to be probably the most controversial topic of this whole entire podcast. Who is a better quarterback, Brady or Manning? Oh boy, um, Tom Brady. Ah, uh, man, I yeah, no, 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 and I have to give my reason. I ask him before you interject. Remember, this is my show. Let me tell you. <laughs> Let me tell you. There, there is nothing that equates more than whipping. That's it, and that's all. It doesn't matter anything else. It doesn't matter how you did it or what transpired is the W column. And the record between Tom Brady versus Peyton Manning in their respective teams is absolutely absurd how much better when they go head to head Tom Brady was. The only person better than Tom Brady may be his brother Eli Manning. That's all I can say. You mean Peyton Manning's brother? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like the only person that may be better than Tom Brady is Eli. Because results matter. Well that ultimately 
Now, if you want a pure passer, who's smarter when it comes to reading a defense? Oh, that's hand, that's Peyton Manning hands down. Do you do you really think it? I I do I do, but you got to look at the I think, weapons. I think Peyton had a better arm. I think Tom Brady had a better understanding of defenses. I think I think Peyton's arm got him out of more trouble than than Tom Brady's. So I think Tom Brady actually read defenses better. I I think that. It wasn't just time. You got to look at it from this perspective. Okay. You had the greatest NFL coach of all time coaching one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. So with Peyton Manning, the only coach that he had was Tony Dungy and Tony Dungy. uh, He was, he was a defensive coach. Tony Dungy was the defensive coordinator for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and went to coach for the Indianapolis Colts. So if you look at the perspective on on Peyton Manning and Tom Brady, yes, Tom Brady had more wins, but you got to look at the coaching though. And that's that's why it's such a tough question. And people don't look at it like that. People don't they don't they they only look at stats and and statistically, yes, Brady had more wins. But as far as in gameplay and the knowledge of the game, I think Peyton Manning overtopped him. And and I think that uh, Peyton Manning helped coach the Colts in a lot of those years. If it, if it wasn't for Peyton Manning, they wouldn't have a team. But if you put Peyton Manning with the Patriots, I think that the results would stay the same other than the the. Uh, the length of time that Peyton Manning would be playing, I think it would have been much shorter than Tom Brady. Um, you know, I think Tom Brady is just more of a, uh, he's just a stud, you know, when it comes to his physique uh, than Peyton Manning. But as far as knowledge. You can't, you can't undermine the 10 to 4 record head to head. 10 wins. To four. I mean that that's not just a coach. I mean there is something to be said about that much of a variance. Well, you could look at the oh, variances. Man. You look at the other variances, though. You you had you had a great great defense under you know the the Boston or the the uh, New England Patriots. <clears throat> who who was the best receiver? For Tom Brady that played three years. That's a hard one. I mean. Well, uh, no, that's a serious question. You can say Randy Moss that he played a year and a half. Yeah. And then but, you can say Ocho Cinco, which he only played like a year. Right. Okay. All who right. All right. Best, I, I give it. Best receiver? All right. Now, I, I give it to I, you. I give it to I you. I can give you Marvin Harrison. <clears throat> you know. But well, if you're going to tell me that Wes Welker is on the same level. As Marvin Harrison, yeah. I'm gonna call you a liar. I'm gonna <laughs> right. call you a liar. Well, then, then so, you had you had the you had the duo between Marvin Harrison and uh, the other wide receiver, Reggie Wayne. Reggie Wayne, yeah, yeah. Reggie Wayne made other uh, Andrew Luck look good. So, but let's be honest, who had better receivers? Boston had I mean, better yeah. a better tight end and better running back, though. Well, they had a better tight end. You know, when Rob came in. 
Yeah, yeah. I guess they had. Ben well, Watson, uh, Adrian yeah. or uh, what? Hernandez. What was his first name? Uh, yeah, he 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 played Aaron Hernandez. He yeah. played one year before he went for his murder rap. Well, I think he, he played a couple to, years. He was supposed to be the superstar of the tight end. You know that they were the one that uh, I remember. I'm a past then. This was. Aaron Hernandez was it. And then all of a sudden, it's like, what the hell? And then all of a, then Rob Gronkowski broke out afterwards. So, well, yeah, tight ends, they, they did have better tight ends, but tight end is a mixed quarterback. I mean, think about it. You can't, you can't name me four running backs that were, like, real starting running backs. Like, that was their go-to for the New England Patriots. I can tell you a ton of them, but they were all split. That's true. Everything I mean, they had, the Colts did have Mar- Marshawn Lynch in there. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> so, I, okay, I, I give, I let you, I'll let you win this argument for you. Since it's Thank your you. show, you won the argument. <laughs> I'm going to win. But, I'm going to win a Tom Brady argument. These are the ones I don't give up on is a Tom Brady argument. I mean, he honestly, and I, I really, really hope he wins again, to be honest with you. I do, and, too. Because I think it finally settles the debate. Was it Tom or Bill? And that's something everybody really wanted to know in New England. But if, if Tom, Tom went to a new team, new system, had to learn a new playbook, and wins the Super Bowl in his first year, nobody does that. Well, you didn't you, with with Arians as coach. He's not a bad coach, though. He's he's a pretty damn good coach. I certainly understand that, but nobody walks into a new system and wins the Super Bowl, right? And with a whole I new mean, cast, right? Right. I mean, he's just learning people. And but Gronkowski was only a factor in the Super Bowl. Since I actually won a lot of money on FanDuel because I had Rob and uh, and Tom ready in my FanDuel that nice. <laughs> Super Bowl. Well, well, since we're we were talking about uh, since we were talking about the '80s and '90s with the football perspective, um, who was your favorite wide receiver in the '90s? Oh, in the '90s. Uh, So I'm going to go before uh, Randy. Before Randy came in, because Randy Moss was uh, Randy. That was my pick. That that was literally my pick. Randy Moss is my favorite wide receiver. Yeah. Um, but before him, it would have been Chris Carter. I love Chris Carter. Really? The guy did not drop anything. He didn't drop anything. I, I would have to put Marvin he Harrison. He nice route. See, I was, I was a wide receiver when I was in high school. So everything was about route running. And Chris Carter was not the fastest, not the strongest. But he knew how to get open, and he never dropped the ball. So I really love Chris Carter in the line. What about quarterbacks? That's a tough one. Of the nineties, uh, of, of the go, of the late eighties and early nineties. Okay, this, I mean, this wasn't the ultimate winner, but one I really loved was Phil Finn. Wow! I, yeah, yeah. Well, I really like uh, he had a uh, Joe Lewis as a running back at the Giants. They, I mean, they were all defense, but Phil Simms knew how to manage a game, and I really, I really liked Phil Simms' style back then. Back then, 
I hated uh, the guy from Chicago, Jim McMahon. <laughs> if, I, if I ever have to see the shuffle shake again, <laughs> what was that? Uh, or what about refrigerator Perry? The, oh. For for the new for the newer generation out there, the the team that was was so sad was the Buffalo Bills. They went to was it three or four Super Bowls in a row and they lost. Uh, no, four AFC Championship games. Or was it was it Super Bowl? Yeah, it was a Super Bowl. They they right, went to the Super Bowl Thurman for. Thomas. Four fucking straight Super Bowls they lost. Yeah. <laughs> and then and then you had Troy Aikman Troy Aikman from Dallas Cowboys. They they ended up winning, I think, three in a row. I'm trying to remember the quarterback for the Bills. Jim Kelly. Jim Kelly. Jim that Kelly. was it. Yeah. Yeah. He can you imagine going to four straight Super Bowls and losing wide right? <laughs> I I would be absolutely embarrassed <laughs> to be honest. I mean, I would uh, be, I, I would have enough at that point. Uh, honestly, Raven, I want to thank you so much for coming on. This has been one of the funniest conversations, one of the best conversations I've had in a long time about sports. Uh, I, I'm gonna wrap it up. You want to know what it is today, guys? Here's what it is. It's uh, the old bird's birthday. Bigger McCracken birthday. Happy birthday. And thank you, sir. I'm gonna I'm gonna hit the beat here uh, in a couple hours. And I think maybe I'll, I'm gonna take my dog down there and I'm gonna let my dog do all the work and get all the ladies to come over. I'm gonna talk to them about Chippa Jones. I'm gonna talk to them about Alex Rodriguez, Barry Bonds, and then I'm gonna go home alone because they don't want to talk about sports. So let's uh let's let my dog do the talking. But thank you so much, Raven. What a wonderful conversation. I appreciate you coming on Liquid Listing tonight. I couldn't have asked for a better conversation. Thank you so much for uh, for being a part of this podcast. No problem. I, I, I do think that you need to be prepared for all of the hate mail, though. <laughs> well, the hate mail come because Tom <laughs> is a god living amongst men. And... and my restraining order from Giselle Boonchin isn't too far away. But thank you so much. Honestly, if you want to check uh, a little bit more out and help me out, go ahead and check out my podcast and support just a little bit. It doesn't mean you have to actually give me money. But if you share this, talk to it amongst your friends, get on the show, talk to me. We're having a lot of fun just doing all these random lists. I appreciate everybody that comes on and every little uh, support that I have. Man, Raven, like I said one more time, that was magical. And thank you so much for coming on, man. All right, no problem. I, I can't wait to continue listening to uh, Liquored Listings, man. You got something really great going on there. So congratulations to you and happy birthday. Cheers, man. Have a great day, all. And uh, we'll, we'll talk to you soon.